0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker,
1: and I'm Ray, and we welcome you to episode 25. Where today we have our one of our professors, one of our other professors from our first year in physics, Dr. Paul Kushner. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do, uh, what you do at the University of Toronto, and what you
2: teach? Sure. Thanks, Ray and, and Parker, and thanks very much for. Uh... Hosting this uh, this podcast series and uh, getting the word out about math and physics. Awesome. So Thank yeah, you. I'm a, I'm I'm a professor here at the University of Toronto. Uh, I'm a proud member of the Department of Physics. Um, I've been here since uh, I guess wow, it's al- almost 17 years now, 2004, um, and I've been um, working on faculty in the area of uh, Earth, atmospheric, and planetary physics. So there's a whole research group devoted to understanding um, the Earth and its atmosphere and also the oceans and uh, the the interior of our planet. My focus is in the area of atmospheric and climate science. I do a lot of work trying to understand how the atmosphere works and um, what's called the circulation of the atmosphere and uh, also how climate change will impact the atmosphere and our own climate uh, at, uh, at the surface where we live. And I do a lot of work as well in understanding sea ice and snow and how those affect um, our day to day weather and climate. So uh, I do a lot of work in that area uh, using computer simulations, and also I do a lot of observational analysis. And all this is through a a research group I have of uh, of, uh, undergraduate and graduate students and uh, postdoctoral fellows. Um, And we all work together on really interesting research projects.
0: That's really cool. That's absolutely fascinating. And yeah, we'll have more questions later about uh, your research group. But just to kick it off, we have this question that we ask all of our guests. Mm -hmm. And it is, uh, what got you into physics in the first place?
2: I really started getting interested in physics, I think, uh, as a student in Ontario, uh, growing up in Ottawa. um, And I got interested in these ideas, uh, kind of mysterious ideas about particle physics and and high energy physics and uh, their philosophical implications. I think that is common for many of my colleagues. Um, And uh, at the time, I I just thought, oh, this sounds so interesting. And I enjoyed math and physics and uh, starting in grade 12 and then in grade 13, which is something that hasn't existed for a while. um, I had some really great (laughs) teachers and That really uh, got me uh, going, and um, you know, having that good grounding in high school uh, with calculus and physics, and uh, doing a little bit of reading, and then really understanding the field—that's that's that's how I got started.
0: Awesome, yeah. That's funny you say that you're from Ottawa because I'm also from Ottawa. I didn't know that about you, but yeah, I'm.
2: What was your high school?
0: Oh, I went to Franco West.
2: Okay, you you don't have to include that in your final edit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's okay. Um, I was gonna say. yeah, I'm actually doing my whole second year online from home, and yeah, I'm just gonna be staying in Ottawa for the whole year.
2: Right. No, that's good. Yeah. Well, I guess it's uh, it, it, that's the part of the reality that you guys are facing uh, now is having to uh, kind of reinvent what education looks like. Uh, we're all doing that together right now, and uh, I think yeah, uh, it's it's a pretty pretty uh, challenging uh, undertaking.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be as challenging for the professors, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I know uh, online must be hard for
1: the professors, right? Like um, because the entire syllabus, well, I don't actually know. Would the syllabus be similar or do you guys are you guys taking like a different approach?
2: Uh, to be online generally speaking or with this uh, with your the first year courses that you took with me uh, last Let's year? Let's say
1: the first year courses, for example, 151152. Is it like a similar approach to last year? Or are you guys taking something else because it's online? Are you guys doing something else, like same topics, stuff like that?
2: It's going to be the same topics. Um, so Professor Julian and I are are, are teaching it again, um, mm-hmm. and uh, we are taking a similar approach for the lectures. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, it's all it, it will be online. Um, there will also be in in person components. At least that's what's planned right now. So we'll mm-hmm. have a small group of uh, of. uh, students in our synchronous lectures, which will also be uh, broadcast online. What I'm doing differently this year, the content is the same, but we're we're actually doing a lot of pre-recorded lectures that we want the students to listen to before they get Mm -hmm. to class. Um, And some of the details will be be presented. Actually, uh, the plan is for a lot of the details to be presented in those lectures. I'm going to see how they work. I've pre-recorded a few lectures now. Um, And um, that's different because that gives us more time in class to talk about um, you know, problems, like solving problems, and also exploring ideas a bit more deeply, spending more time on demonstrations. So there is a bit of an opportunity to do um, what you guys probably know of as like the flipped classroom model, where, mm-hmm. you know, students come to class with, uh, with a good understanding of what's, what, what the topic is, uh, because they've yeah. done some exercises before, and they've listened to some materials before, and then that gives us a chance to explore a bit more in depth. What's going to be really different is having the students, most of the students, uh, like 90% will be online while the, while the live class is going on. And that's going to be a challenge. The topics mm-hmm. will be quite similar. You know what's going to be really different is the the fact that this year we'll only be running our practicals online only. So there won't be yeah oh, oh. in-person labs.
1: Oh, because uh, 244, which is yeah. Practical Physics 2, which is what I'm taking next year, um, Yeah. Actually, forces people yeah. to go in person.
2: Yeah, that's two twenty four. That's yeah, right. two, two yeah yeah two two four yeah yeah.
1: So the first year of physics, I guess, just doesn't. Uh,
2: yeah, that was um, you know th- these none of these decisions are easy. Um, mm-hmm. Two twenty four is uh, is a it is, it is a practicals course, and so the decision there was was really clearly focused on mm-hmm. um, without an in person component, it just can't be a lab, and and we can't. You know there aren't aren't ways of making this uh, pedagogy work uh, uh-huh. in you know at uh, at home. Uh, uh-huh. Whereas with practical physics uh, for the first year, it's uh, the, the, I would say the labs are a little easier, right? They're uh, they're more basic uh, concepts, and so we felt that there just wasn't enough of a of a reason to bring even a small group in. Um, and plus, it's really hard to do the logistics. So. Uh, the department focused on getting the second-year students and the advanced labs, uh, which are in the fourth year, uh, running in person because it's you know you just can't take that equipment home, and so they're doing it. Mm-hmm. I think I'm confident they're doing it as safely as they possibly can, uh, with everybody's you know safety safety being the first concern. But yeah, it is uh, it is it, it is an in-person uh, type of experience for those courses.
1: Oh, awesome, awesome. I I think first years are still gonna have. A little bit of fun, not as much as we did, but
0: hopefully a little bit. For the flipped classroom mm-hmm. model, we actually had that for MAT137. Okay. had They have like a whole playlist of basically every single topic mm-hmm. on YouTube. Mm-hmm. We would watch the playlist and then go to class. And then in class, we would just do exercises and ask questions and just go deeper into uh, our understanding of the material.
2: Right. And how did that work for you?
0: I liked it, uh, but I I much. I feel like I prefer Mm -hmm. going to class and actually learning the material and having uh, like a professor just explain it in front of me. Um, I preferred that, but you know, it still it still worked. The 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 online videos.
1: Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, it's kind of hard. Like it's kind of a special case scenario. But yeah, if hopefully, like I mean, to be honest, I would obviously I would prefer uh, them teaching it because I just think someone uh teaching it live is always better than like watching a pre-recorded video and then that and i think that just i think everyone can relate with that because watching someone talk about it is a lot more inspiring than just listening to a recording right yeah so i think i think that can make a big difference but again because of the pandemic not really much we can do unfortunately
2: (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. we will have a live class, um, mm-hmm. and my my decision was to try to pre-record um, more of the material, uh, and uh, my, and that's the decision with Professor Julian as well. We'll see how it works, right? We'll see how how, yeah. how, how the learning goes. Um, I'm hoping that our in-person meetings will actually be really uh, uh, kind of quite enriching, um, especially for 151, which has a lot of the material that is covered in high school curriculums anyway. Mm-hmm um it's mm-hmm. it's more 151 is more of an experience of getting everybody on the same page um mm-hmm. 152 i agree that we might have to revise uh you know the approach for 152 because some of the stuff we talk about in 152 is really uh it's it's hard you know it's mm-hmm. fields and things like that so we'll, we'll, we'll see it, to it visualize be, yeah, yeah without... I mean, it's to, you know visualize you know sit down and write write mm-hmm. things out so but we'll see how it works everybody will be getting used to the new reality or the yeah new- say, soon enough
1: <laughs> Soon yeah. enough. so mm-hmm. uh w- one question that i have for you um that I, i've always wondered because before coming to u of t um my view of physics was kind of narrowed in the sense that i didn't really think there were crazy amount of subjects crazy amount of topics but then i came and i heard that uh my professor is a teacher in atmospheric physics and that that's where you have your PhD, correct, in atmospheric physics.
2: It's yeah, a, a PhD in physics with a specialization in atmospheric mm-hmm. uh, atmospheric physics. That's right. Yeah.
1: Right. So my, my question is, why atmosphere? Like, what pushed you towards finding the physics about or like figuring out the physics behind the atmosphere?
2: I think for for me, for me, and for a lot of. Uh, Students uh, who, you know, who go through a physics program, mm-hmm. your, your view coming in of what you mm-hmm. find really interesting and then what you learn about as you go along um, really changes. So for me, I think, um, you know, a formative experience for me was going through physics and, and taking those courses uh, that uh, had you know, a lot of interest, uh, you know, uh, special relativity, quantum mechanics, getting exposed to all, all those ideas, realizing where my strengths were. And mm-hmm. then also realizing that, you know, um, there, are, there are ways of applying physics to all sorts of systems in the physical universe that extend from the very, very small to the very large and the in-between. And I kind of like the in-between where, where, we, mm-hmm. where, where we deal with the atmospheric and earth science. We are dealing with what we see every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember sort of being on a camping trip and sort of thinking, oh, you know, looking at the sky and clouds and thinking, oh. You know, I could study this and I knew that there was really good work going on in the, in the Department of Physics. Part of it is mm-hmm. luck, uh, I would say, too, because our, our department has the good fortune of being uh, quite large and also quite broad in its scope. Uh, our atmospheric physics group and the and the geophysics group go back to the founding of the department, practically. Um, so they go back several decades. Mm-hmm. Most places uh, most physical physics departments don't have, um, such a kind of broad, uh, range of topics that are covered. So we're, I, I consider myself very lucky mm-hmm. to be here. And also I I, 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 did my undergraduate at U of T too. So I was uh, very much, um, you know, uh, influenced by the, the, uh, faculty here. Um, and, uh, that all, getting exposed to atmospheric science courses was, was part of my, uh, my decision to kind of, pursue this as a career
0: yeah that yeah. sounds super interesting when you say um you're on a camping trip and you look up at the sky and at yeah. the clouds yeah. for me in my experience i would look past the clouds into yeah. the stars exactly <laughs> that's yeah, yeah that, that's i'm actually doing a, a specialist in uh, astrophysics right yeah, yeah that's why i say that because i'm doing i'm, do, I'm going to be taking um uh, the astronomy courses as well as the physics courses so that's what interests me but yeah i also see the see why like the atmosphere and the, the geophysics aspect or kind of branch of physics would be super interesting to study. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And now in in the, in, you know, astronomical sciences, it's all coming together because there's such a focus now on um, exoplanets and, and their dynamics and their atmospheres and uh, their, their geophysical properties. Like uh, trying to understand. So we, we have our own solar system to turn to for analogies and including our own earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have the, the the rest of the the universe to look at and and you know contemplate uh, how planets behave and, and those other systems that we can see um, and uh, so there's a lot of unity across the uh, across the astronomical and earth sciences as well um, yeah. and uh, if you look at an organization like NASA they have uh, Earth observations, uh, as well as, of course, you know, their space missions that that uh, go to uh, other planets and and uh, they're, that that observe a distant galaxies. So, we, you know, I, mm-hmm. I really think in a in a department of physics, you get to see the whole gamut, and that's what's one of the great mm-hmm. things about being, uh, you know, part of this uh, community.
0: Yeah, awesome. So, for our next question, I just wanted to ask uh, you about your your PhD thesis. Can you talk to us about what you were studying and what you wrote about? Sure.
2: Okay, so my PhD thesis was an application of ideas in classical mechanics. Uh, that's, that's a course that you're going to be taking, I guess, in a year or so. Uh, so in your classical mechanics courses, you uh, start to look at uh, uh, formulations of dynamics that involve uh, understanding uh, Lagrangians and Hamiltonian structure of, of uh, dynamics. And it turns out that you can apply those same ideas to understanding fluid systems. And um, the atmosphere is a fluid. And so we have ways of looking at the atmosphere, treating it like a a big uh, swirling fluid on on, uh, swirling around our spherical earth and uh, making approximations that actually uh, help us uh, deal with the math and so on in a way that actually stems right from classical mechanics. So my thesis was all about um, understanding a certain type of model system that uh, was a, a good model for atmospheric dynamics. And mm-hmm. uh, I did a lot of math. It was a lot of mathematical physics, actually. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, looking for looking at the stability of the atmosphere and the way waves propagate through the atmosphere, um, and I'm talking about atmospheric waves here, mm-hmm. like uh, the movement of air, um, and trying to understand how that relates to kind of more the fundamental structure from, uh, from fluid mechanics. And uh, it was very theoretical. Actually, I had no computer uh, uh, graphics. Uh, there were a couple, of, just a couple of figures. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of math, a lot of variational calculus, um, and so yeah. it was uh, very. It was, it, it was, it was quite an adventure. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I learned, I learned a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, got to meet a lot of good people that way too.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a lot of long nights. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it was, yeah, but it was, it was fun, especially once as a grad student, once you get kind of, kind of get going, um, mm-hmm. then, you know, so you're yeah. on a path of discovery and you're learning things that nobody else knew before. It's really cool. That sound, I mean,
1: that sounds really cool and talking about, <laughs> uh, an atmosphere as fluids, Mm -hmm. i have one question that um i've always wanted to ask someone who who is in this field but we've never really had anyone on so now that we finally have you i really (laughs) want to ask you a question on turbulence and you've probably heard of definitely heard of the navier stokes equations one Mm -hmm. of the millennium problems which Mm -hmm. describes turbulence in the air or at least that's what i think so I'm just trying to grasp a better understanding of it because it's always, it's, it's been this millennium problem. It's this big thing that's never been solved. So maybe could you explain it a little bit further? Like what exactly is the Navier-Stokes equation and why can't it be solved?
0: Yeah. And what what makes it so complicated? Yeah,
2: Sure. Well, maybe it's worth thinking about what you're going to be learning in your, uh, in your second year course coming up. I think you'll, if you're taking um, 254, uh, so there's the second year classical mechanics class. Mm-hmm. Uh, they deal a little bit there with nonlinear systems and, and chaos, right? And so what you learn as you uh, start to study more math and physics is that there are systems that, are, um, that can be solved with pen and paper And computer, kind of in a straightforward way, and those are called integrable systems. Systems that have a solution that you can determine um, either directly through integration um, uh, on pen and paper, or maybe with a simple, like uh, you know, graphing calculator or something like that, Mm -hmm. without too much difficulty. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are systems that are that just can't be solved that way. And it turns out that even very simple systems, maybe you've heard of the three-body problem. Uh, which is the uh, problem of three uh, mutually interacting particles, um, just oh, interacting yes. under their own, you know, uh, gravitational influence. So that that problem turns out also to be what's called non-integrable. So even though it's super simple, just three particles, it's you you, you can't find a closed-form solution, and so you have to your only choice is to solve it um, on a computer, uh, solving the differential equations numerically. So it turns out that uh, like the three-body problem most problems are actually non-integrable for real systems in the real world. Mm. Um, and so, sadly, <laughs> that's the case. Although it makes the world much more interesting, the, the world is not very predictable, right? Mm-hmm. Including our solar mm-hmm. system and so on. So even though our solar system is really super predictable, in a way, um, actually, you have to you have to be really careful with the, the what, what makes it non-integrable. The main thing that makes it non-integrable is a property of non-linearity. And that non-linearity means that you have... Um, so that there's no simple solution that you can kind of introduce and then build up from to kind of get complicated solutions. So fluids, most fluid systems are highly non-integrable. All right. So there are a few fluid systems that we know the solutions for um, usually ones that have a lot of, that are really sticky fluids that are really damped, like, uh, you know, like a, a, a lubricating uh, oil in an engine or something like that. That's a really, really viscous system. You, you can solve some, uh, some, cases for that but most systems mm-hmm. um as which are uh what, what we call high reynolds number systems so anything that has like that run, that goes pretty fast or where, where the viscosity is pretty pretty weak mm-hmm. um those tend to be very uh, even, even if they're so they're laminar and they, they don't have much turbulence in them they're really hard to solve for so when you go to when you ask about turbulence turbulence has all sorts of uh, uh issues right so it's the, the, the Navier Stokes equations are the ones underneath the whole system. Right. And we've known them for uh, going on, you know, a century and a half or two centuries now. Um, and uh, we have uh, a really good understanding of why uh, of the of the equations themselves. But solving them is uh, something you can't do except with a computer. And often what we do in fluids is try to make approximations to, to mm-hmm. come up with you know, some special cases. Turbulence is hard because it's uh, it, the, we, we don't all we have is experimental evidence, you know, looking at wind tunnels and looking in, in nature for the statistical properties of turbulence. And we know that turbulence involves interactions across many, many different scales of motion. So if you look up at a cloud, you know, you see a big cloud, but then you can see that there are ripples in the clouds and there are small eddies in the clouds and they're always changing in time. Mm-hmm. All those mm-hmm. features are pushing each other around. So it's incredibly non-linear because uh, fluids advect their own, their, their own uh, fields of motion and carry their own information um, through the velocity field. So in the end, we, we can tell almost right away, a mathematician can tell almost right away that um, fluid equations are, are non-integrable and really, really hard to study. Mm-hmm. So, but all is not lost because <laughs> turbulence is all, also, it's a statistical theory. And we can tell a lot about the uh, characteristics of turbulence by looking at what the equations depend on and what they don't depend on, right? So you can make some pretty good approximations that will tell you, for example, that the turbulence, say, in one in a broad uh, plane, like if you're on the prairies, the turbulence will look pretty similar from one place to another, right? So that's a big simplification, <laughs> right? So that's called a symmetry, right? Because it's it, it, the, the turbulence is similar no matter... You know, uh, even if you shift around, uh, you know, do a translation, right, or rotate around, if it's isotropic, you won't notice a difference, uh, you know, particular direction to the turbulence. So you can mm-hmm. actually make a lot of approximations that are very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the big mysteries in turbulence are things like, um, are like little, little eddies and swirls the most important thing, or are there big coherent structures that kind of, uh, that you can see like vortices that kind of govern all the turbulence? So turbulence is a really, uh, it's a big field of course, in engineering uh, and also in physics. And it's not one, it's, uh, it's really, uh, we're not gonna find a solution to turbulence. Like it's gonna be more than a millennium problem um, because, <laughs> because it's intrinsic, like there's a real, there's a real limit to the solutions that, that we can obtain, but there's a lot we can learn about turbulence. And that's really what, uh, you know, atmospheric and ocean science is all about is learning what we can about turbulent systems, even though we have limitations. I don't know if that answered your question, Ray.
1: But... Yeah, I, I, I think that answered it quite well, for sure. Thank you. I
2: love, love, love to hear myself talk. So
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for explaining <laughs> it so well. Yeah, I mean, for sure, because I did not have a very good understanding of it. And yeah. suffice to say, you explained it very well. Thank you. Sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that I, I forget the term, but I know that turbulence is very similar to a double pendulum in the sense that initial conditions vary like the kind of the the end game or kind of, um, let's say, like the initial velocity or the initial position and angles and everything. It will will change the outcome so drastically that it's basically impossible to just solve those systems like generically.
2: Yeah. It turns out for the double pendulum case um, that you have Two angles to solve for, and you have two angular velocities to solve for, and they're all coupled together non-linearly, mm-hmm. and so that's those are the ingredients for sensitive dependence to initial conditions, or chaos, uh, or that's one of the hallmarks of chaos. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, you know, with pendulums, you know, you can sort of get really non-linear behavior if you start a pendulum upside down, right, and and just give it a little jiggle, it'll it'll go yeah. unstable and it'll fall mm-hmm. one way or the other, and that's kind of unpredictable. Uh, When you add a second pendulum, that really makes it unpredictable. And so uh, start two, you know, start two pendulums kind of in the upside down position and that are coupled together and they'll, uh, they'll do all sorts of crazy things. As you've probably seen, um, you know, at the science center and so on, they have those kind of demonstrations. Uh, And that's like, that, that's a really good analogy for some of the things that can happen in the atmosphere. Um, In fact, the person who, uh, discovered kind of the chaos in the modern sense. His name was uh, Ed Lorenz. Uh, he was a, an atmospheric scientist at MIT who uh, discovered that a very simplified system, atmospheric uh, system, with just three variables exhibited chaos. Um, and he made that discovery uh, using, using a computer, basically. Uh, and also thinking really deeply about the problem. And so he's the one who discovered this uh, butterfly attractor that uh, is the, the hallmark of his uh, three, three uh, degree of freedom system, the Lorenz, the Lorenz system. So uh, you can, if you haven't heard of that, you can look it up. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, and that was an atmospheric scientist. That's a point of pride for us.
1: So is he the same Lorenz <laughs> from the Lorenz transform or not? no? That's no a, right, that's a, no.
2: That's a, yeah, this uh, that different was Lorenz. Lorent. So, different Lorenz. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Ed Lorenz <laughs> D- different uh, was a different generation, and he died a few years ago. Um oh. It's he's L O R E N Z, and uh, his, his discovery kind of was what it was. It was made by an atmospheric scientist in, in in the context of atmospheric science, but of course, it it applies to many, many, many different mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. areas of study. Yeah, for sure.
1: So, talking about like. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about, atmospheric science. Now we can finally, I think, get, I think we've got a good enough base to get into your group, the Kushner group, or at least. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. And what you guys really do. Because yeah. I've been uh, doing some research and I found out that you guys are basically a group of people doing research on the atmosphere, right? That's- yeah, so, yeah, so maybe you want to uh, describe it a little better than I just
2: did. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's, you, you've got to start uh, simply, right? So you just yeah. laid it out. We do research on the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, the atmosphere is part of the climate system, which includes atmosphere and ocean and land uh, and ice and snow. And mm-hmm. um, what, when we study the atmosphere, there's all sorts of questions we can ask. But one of the questions that's really interesting to me is, what determines our weather here in the uh, in the mid latitudes where we live? We live in the mid latitudes, sort of between, uh, say, like 40 degrees and 70 degrees uh, latitude. All right, um, and we see these weather systems pass by. They, you get you get you go from fair weather to cold and rainy weather. You know, and then we get heat waves and cold spells and so on. And um, we also know that uh, uh, anthropogenic climate change is going on at the same time and we wonder how that's going to affect our weather. So that's the general uh, area that I'm interested in uh, for for my group. And what Mm -hmm. we use to study that, uh, to a large extent, are models. And those models are are, uh, typically, uh, not always, but they're typically uh, computer models that include um, really simplified atmospheres where you just have, like uh, basically the planet is treated like a billiard ball and you just have uh, a layer of gas around it and you, and you can simulate its motion, right? And then mm-hmm. you can add in effects like clouds, mm. moisture, mountains, uh, uh, oceans, um, you know, and, 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 and terrain and so on. Um, and as you add in these different effects, uh, you come to the point where you can actually simulate uh, how um, uh, carbon dioxide concentrations can affect the atmosphere's temperature and also the, uh, the, the uh, motions in the atmosphere. And those models that are, include all those effects are called um, climate models or uh, global climate models. And we use those to study um, how climate change is operating on our, you know, on, on our planet at the, at the current time. Yeah, so we use these models um, and there are large software packages that are uh, made by groups um, that focus on, on, on the development of the best ways to represent the atmosphere in a computer. Right. So mm-hmm. when you take computational physics, you'll you'll learn a lot. If, if I hope you take that course, it's a great course, 407. <laughs> um, if, you, if, mm. if you take that course, <laughs> you'll learn a lot about how to, how you can use different numerical methods to solve problems in physics. And one of the things you can mm-hmm. use computers for is to solve the fluid, the equations of fluid motion and also the equations of uh, transfer of electromagnetic, radiation uh, through the atmosphere. So we use computers to capture the Navier-Stokes equations and uh, uh, approximations to those equations, plus uh, to capture uh, 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 radiative transfer and various like uh, other kind of uh, physical processes, plus chemical processes and so mm-hmm. on. We can we can try to combine them all into these uh, global climate models (GCMs), and that's what we use. That's what we use to study uh, the atmosphere. In addition to all the observations we have. Um, observations play a huge role in atmospheric science. We have a ton of data and uh, it's, uh, our field really has a a big data challenge uh, to it. Uh, We we continuously gather data from satellites and weather stations and uh, uh, balloon launches. Mm -hmm. Um, And bringing that data in to our models is a big part of the the, the work that takes place actually in in, in the group of people who study uh, atmospheric science at our department. Um, so, in my own group, we focus on, on the models and how to analyze them and, and, and different um, experiments you can do with them. For example, uh, I, I don't know if you want me to go into this detail now, uh, but the kind of things we do, for example, would mm-hmm. be to take a model and change it in some way. So, for example, we could ask, all right, well, some, in some years we see uh, you know, a greatly enhanced snowfall in certain regions what does that snowfall do to the, uh, to the weather in other regions? And so uh, we can actually study uh, the impact of imposing a snow uh, patch, a large mm-hmm. snow patch, you know, several thousand kilometers on a side on the larger atmosphere. And, and this is motivated by uh, observational work that people have done to study how the atmosphere responds, or sorry, how the um, atmosphere appears to behave after some sort of large snowfall event um, that's just an example um, in a, in a, of, of the kind of thing we can do. Most of my work has been focusing, focusing more on the problem um, recently of sea ice and sea ice loss. Do, do you know about the Arctic sea ice and what it's been doing lately?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm guessing getting, yeah, melting. I, I was guessing they're just melting.
2: <laughs> that's right. So there's a lot of interest uh, in two things, two sides of the coin. One, one side is what is causing the sea ice to melt, and the other is, when the sea ice melts, what else does that imply for the atmosphere and the ocean? Um, and so for the uh, first problem, you know, what is causing sea ice to melt? We can largely point our fingers at uh, at the uh, impact that human beings have had through uh, greenhouse gas emissions and greenhouse warming. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that drives a lot of surface temperature increase, and it has this big impact on the uh, the polar ice uh, involving positive feedbacks and, and, and things you might have heard of before. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But that's, th- that's not the whole story there, because you can also get some sea ice loss happening just spontaneously. Some years you'll lose sea ice, some years you'll gain it back. And our models actually simulate that process as well. Um, wow. but, the, but the other side, which is, well, when the sea ice changes, what does that mean for the rest of the atmosphere? Well, that's a much more theoretical question, mm-hmm. because sea ice is part of the climate system. So when we do a computer simulation where we impose a change in sea ice, we're kind of playing with nature, right? but we're doing it all on the computer. Uh, but we found we've learned a lot from doing those uh, doing those kind of specialized experiments because we learned that you know, in years where there's um, reduced sea ice, that actually has impacts on weather and climate in, in distant regions away from the atmosf- away, away from the sea ice regions. Um, and it also has impacts on the ocean as well. So one of my PhD students is just finishing off her PhD on, on, in this area, Stephanie Hay. And, um, you know, she's finding that, in fact, even uh, changes in sea ice in Antarctica, like the, the, the Antarctic sea ice, can have impacts in um, on the climate of the northern hemisphere where we live. Uh, mm. And you, you mm. need computers to do this because these are not things you can do in nature. You know, you can't really go and... And, and do a, a, a controlled sea ice loss experiment where you remove all the sea ice from Antarctica. You, mm-hmm. you couldn't get away with it and you couldn't do it anyway. It's too much of a challenge and you wouldn't <laughs> want to do it, right? But with this, well, what we're really asking here is uh, if, if, you, if, if we see these predict, predictions of sea ice change and we want, to understand, uh, want want to use the computer to better understand how the whole climate system operates so we can have better predictions and also understand it at a mm-hmm. deeper level.
1: Um, I'm not gonna lie. I don't think I've ever actually been this interested in uh, atmospheric physics because I've always thought of it as just,, um, let me be a little objective before I get into the reasoning. But uh, yeah. beginning in the beginning, I, I was actually not a big fan of it because I was always like, you know, science is about physics, especially about space, about discovering the universe. why why focus on the earth? But yeah. like as you're describing it, there are some really cool things. That I you know never knew were possible, especially with the Navier-Stokes equations and stuff. So I think uh, it's giving me a real big realization of atmospheric physics. <laughs> well,
2: good. That warms my heart. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Heart. But you know, really, honestly, honestly, yeah. it's uh, that's the amazing thing about uh, uh, physics and, and math too, for that matter, is that we we kind of learn the tricks and the tool, you know, the the, the the skills to analyze many many different types of systems. You have to be really careful when you do it because you can get a little um, you can you, you can sometimes uh, what's the right word get a little arrogant and think oh mm-hmm. I can, you know, I can I can study anything because I've studied yeah. physics but, but the fact is you know that's not totally true and every field has its own areas of, mm-hmm. of, of kind of specialization yeah but as an undergraduate in physics you get the training you you know you need uh, and the analytical skills to kind of Get into these other fields, and that uh, was a real privilege for me um, to realize. You know that I was able to actually take my physics education even one step further and get a, an atmospheric physics specialization, and still be in touch with all my colleagues in physics, right, and learn from them. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, no, great. Mm-hmm. I, I think the important thing is to keep an open mind, and, yeah. and you never know. Uh, like stellar dynamics, as you know, there's a lot of fluids in it. There's a lot of turbulence. And mm-hmm. so you never know how what you know what you'll learn in a in a any sort of fluids course will benefit you later on.
0: Mm-hmm. I had a question: you, when you study like sea ice and the atmosphere and everything, do you take into consideration the orbit of the Earth and its uh, the I think it's called ubiquity, like the angle of depression yes. off yeah. of. Um
2: yeah that, uh, i'll just correct you on one thing obliquity <laughs> Obliquity. Yeah, so when when it depends on the problem you're interested in so i tend to focus on problems of uh what's happened over the recent decades so not such long time scales but if you're interested in right. the impact of um orbital very vari- variations in oblique uh, in, in obliquity um and uh the, uh, the you know the uh uh, migration of, uh, of the axis of rotation uh, over different time periods, then you get into thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of years of, uh, of past history. And what that gives you an opportunity to do is look at the, uh, what's called the paleoclimate record, the record of past climates, that extends back, of course, uh, the uh, several billion years of the Earth's age, right? And you can try mm-hmm. to understand right. uh, in, the, uh, in the geological and fossil record how oceans and the atmosphere uh, were varied over the years. And and, and in those situations, sea ice and especially glacial ice are very, very strongly influenced by orbital parameters. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you definitely have to worry about that, but not in my problems. My problems have focused much more on the recent Mm -hmm. decades because that's kind of where I I end up uh, focusing most of my attention. But Mm -hmm. the, the past climates are really, really interesting as well and give us lots of food for thought.
0: Yeah, I took a course, uh, second semester, it's called, um, ancient civilizations and their yes. environment. And we touched on, well, we, we didn't go into like the physics of everything, of course, but we touched on, uh, like glaciers and how you would take, uh, like how you do carbon dating with, uh, with ancient yes. ice and, uh, as well as, as well as the earth's position relative to the sun and everything and how that affected uh, the environment. Yeah
1: yeah um so how many years have you been like experimenting on the atmosphere let's let's word <laughs> it like that
2: <laughs> yeah well i'm not an experimentalist i'm very much uh oh sorry professor. sorry but no, sorry okay. n- I I not what
1: you meant. wrong word but yeah, yeah. you know what and,
2: i mean. air quotes i, I know i was air quotes. Air quotes, But just for 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 uh for anyone else uh no so i've been i've been working in atmospheric physics um I started as an undergraduate, um, in, uh, with a, with a summer position, um, and, uh, and graduated in 1990, I guess I started in 1988 Mm -hmm. and basically that's what I've been working on for all this time. I know it's 30 years. Wow. So in those
1: 30 years, (laughs) what is the craziest thing that you've, you and your group or you individually have discovered? Or, like, seen or, or something that just blown your mind, just in general. Right.
2: Well, um, when I, so I, after I graduated here from the University of Toronto, mm-hmm. I spent several years um, at the uh, Geophysical Fluid Dynamics Laboratory
0: in oh, Princeton, okay. New
2: Jersey, okay. uh, which was a so GFDL. Um, and while I was there, uh, I was uh, I, I, I postdoc there for a while, I was a postdoctoral fellow, and then I, I stayed on as a research scientist. Um, and uh, wh- while I was there, I started to work on uh, models of the atmosphere and how conditions in the upper atmosphere influenced uh, conditions at the surface. And one of the things we discovered, which was kind of crazy, was that you could um, heat uh, the air, air or cool the air up way up in the stratosphere, which is actually several kilometers above the surface of the earth. And we found that in this uh, model, which was stripped of a lot of detail, that we could actually change the jet stream a lot just by cooling off the Arctic uh, stratosphere. So I know that doesn't—that's a lot of—that might be a lot of jargon. But what we're talking about is here we're cooling off a very small amount of matter um, up in the uh, up at like 0.1 atmospheres, that kind of, or 0.5 atmospheres. Really not very, not very close mm-hmm. to the ground at all and we had this outsize effect on, on, the, on the jet stream in the, in the troposphere. And it turned out, and the reason we studied this pr- problem in a really simple model was that people had been noticing that um, as a result of climate change and um, the uh, loss of, of ozone, uh, strat- ozone in the stratosphere, mm-hmm. um, there, were Im- there seemed to be impacts in the, at the surface that could be observed. And what we found was that we could actually get these impacts really strongly in this pretty simple model. Um, and that discovery was really exciting uh, for for me and for for uh, my colleagues, and uh, we we wrote a lot about that effect, and uh, I you know I found that really really interesting, um, and then understanding how that worked, uh, like how the role of the of atmospheric waves and driving that change, um, it's actually still a topic that people study a lot today. I actually have worked less in that problem uh, on the on the role of the stratosphere in mm-hmm. in the in the climate of the surface, um, but. It's still very interesting um, and a uh, pretty active topic of research. Um, I, I would just add one more story that what yeah. I really learned when I was uh, working in this laboratory was how um, you know science now operates in a way that's much can often involve like large teams of people and how fun that can be. Um, so I worked in an environment at this lab that it was a lab of the U.S. government, uh, the the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. NOAA. And um, Mm -hmm. I came in as a physics, you know, physics grad. um, But I left as somebody who was really, really understood a lot more about climate science. Um, And for the several years I worked there, I learned about how, you know, large teams of people working on these global climate models can accomplish a tremendous amount if they are uh, able to interact with each other uh, and talk about different disciplinary areas. So it taught me a lot about the, the value of interdisciplinary work. And, mm-hmm. and with that, I discovered a lot about how global warming operates and how the ocean operates as well. So those were things I learned about uh, in that kind of environment that I wouldn't have learned, you know, just in a physics program. So That's really good. Yeah. So That's one crazy. of the things I'd mm-hmm. say That's is, really you know, cool. you can make your own discoveries, but also where you work, the environment where you work is mm-hmm. tremendously it's important. important. Yeah. And kind of, of giving you uh, kind of more exposure to different ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've taken that, that lesson with me. Was as uh, I like working in teams. I like working with large, you know, larger groups of people as well as working like one-on-one with students
0: and so on. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I've just been absorbing everything <laughs> yeah. you you're saying. Yeah, but it's all it's all really uh like really interesting stuff. Um so yeah, we're coming up on to the the later stages of the podcast. Sure. Um we do have a lot more questions to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we can have you on another time if uh if that works.
2: Sure happy to come
0: back i was thinking of something
1: yeah sorry, uh, sorry i was thinking of something crazy something really i mean it would be a lot of fun <laughs> if we can pull it off um but when school starts hopefully uh if if parker can come down from ottawa you me uh dr kushner and dr julian can oh, have like an hour hour and a yes. half podcast <laughs> i'm saying that would be really cool be like crazy. we can talk about because he's condensed matter, your astro—I mean, uh, your atmospheric. So we can talk about, you know, quantum mechanics. We can talk about macro mechanics. We can talk about a lot of stuff. So sounds great. I think that would be a cool. It sounds idea. like a,
2: a good uh, classical quantum smackdown. Uh, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds like a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really enjoy. It. I enjoy talking to uh, Professor Julian too. So that would, that would be fun. Thanks very much.
1: That would be fun. Absolutely. Yeah, thank absolutely. you so
0: much for coming on today. This was mm-hmm. an absolutely fascinating conversation, and I, I surely so learned a lot.
2: Great. Well, it was really nice talking to you guys, and I, I appreciate that you're doing this, and I wish you the best of uh, luck for the coming year. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's keep mm-hmm. in touch. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Thank absolutely. You so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Okay. Uh, we can uh, sign off now.
0: Yeah. So, right. this has been uh, episode number 25 of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker.
1: And I'm Ray. And we will see you soon.
2: See ya.